0: We have untested products being used by our young population. The risks to our long-term health are completely unknown.
1: Sometimes seen as a safer alternative to smoking cigarettes, the popularity of vaping has been on an upward curve in Ireland for the past decade, with colourful packaging and a vast array of flavours proving a hit, particularly with children and young adults.
2: Pretty frequently get kids 12, 13, 14 in trying to buy them You know, they always have the excuse of, oh, I just want to look, and they go, no, you're not allowed in here if you're not over 18.
1: But the latest research suggests that children who vaped are five times more likely to start smoking, and long-term exposure to nicotine can have very real consequences for adolescent brain development. Under new legislation, there'll be a ban on the sale of vaping products to children, those under 18, by the middle of July. But will it work?
0: So a simple, straightforward sales ban We know it won't work. um, And we really have to go further than that.
1: This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, will the new law stop children vaping? And why did it take so long? (music) Reporter Katie Mellett spoke to Bobby, who runs Vape and Beyond, based in Dublin city centre.
2: Bobby, what would you say is the most common flavour that you sell here? One of the weird things about vaping is... I always use this analogy that you or I could probably agree that, say, a Morris bar is a decent bar of chocolate. Maybe not a great bar of chocolate, but it's, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Everybody has a difference of opinion on what's a good flavor in vape. And to the point that it's maddening because it, it, no one can ever agree, well, this is, a, is a, like an S-tier flavor. I think one of, the, one of the only sort of standards is maybe like watermelon.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Watermelon kind of sells pretty consistently, maybe cherry. I think any of the flavors that we grew up with as kids in sweets that we're used to, because basically every vape is synthetically flavored. Mm-hmm. So if we're used to a certain type of flavor going, oh, I know what watermelon tastes like, even though obviously watermelon candy tastes nothing like watermelon, we still in our minds go, oh yeah, that's watermelon because we, we're familiar with that taste as from childhood, which is sort of a bit messed up if you think about it because it's, <laughs> it's nicotine. And um, the age demographic as well, would you say it's largely kind of um, teenagers over 18 and early 20s it's, or very. vary? I mean, I think everyone gets to know what shops will sell to underage and what won't. Mm-hmm. So when you're very hard, like we're very, very hard line about that, we won't sell to under 18. And I think when people start to realize that they try less and less. But at the beginning, I definitely noticed a lot more young people come in and even like the amount of people that will come in, in their school uniform, like straight away, that's an ID. And I'll even say to them, I'll go school uniform. And they're like, huh? And I go, you're in a school uniform, show me ID. And they're like, Oh, but I'm in sixth year. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, I I always say, like, would you go in and try to buy a pint in your school uniform? And they go, no, I go, well, why are you trying to buy an over 18s product? So it's actually quite disturbing to me that a massive demographic of this, is kids, like really young kids. Uh, at the very, very beginning in this particular store, you had a lot of young kids trying to come in like eight, nine, 10 years old. En masse actually, like like in big groups. Now fair enough, a lot of those would be in here to try and steal as well, but like pretty frequently you get kids 12, 13, 14 in trying to buy them. And you know, they always have the excuse of, oh, I just want to look I just, And I go, no, look, like you're not allowed in here if you're not over 18. Besides that, the sales demographic is between about 18 and 25, probably, like it's, it's always on the younger end. Um, you have people a bit older than that, I guess, that still smoke. Some people, like usually by their kind of mid or late 20s, you see people trying to get off them at that point, but in their sort of late teens and early 20s, they're still sort of enjoying life and they're just indulging, as I guess we all did with something in our late teens and early 20s. So yeah, the, the demographic is young. And would you say that it's the bright colors of them, the enjoyable flavors that make them so likable and make them, attractable to to younger age groups? I, th- th- I, th- I think I think I think that's definitely a big part of it because I remember like when I was I'm thirty seven now, and when I was young, if you wanted to smoke, you had to work for smoking. Like there's a pain. Like I've only ever tried a cigarette once in my twenties, but that there's a pain barrier to it. it I remember it, the, the one time I ever tried a cigarette, it felt like someone was like squeezing my lungs really tight and I go, oh, that actually, that was quite painful the first time you do it. As far as I know, and again, I don't vape myself. As far as I know, vaping is easy. There's no pain barrier. There's no work to it. It's enjoyable the very first time. So from a visual point of view, yeah, the, the colors and stuff are very attractive. But the killer is the second you try it once, it's enjoyable. And then the next time it's enjoyable and the next time it's enjoyable. And from friends that I know that do smoke, it usually takes from what they've told me, like, many weeks before you get to the enjoyment phase of cigarettes. And I think as a young person, the fact you have no no off-putting factor to it, it makes it so much easier to just get into it straight away. And Would you say that most of the people that are buying your products, are they um, taking up vaping for the nicotine to get off the tobacco and cigarettes? Or would you say that most of them are completely coming in new to nicotine straight into vaping? It depends on the age demographic. Like, it's rare now that I find people younger people will start smoking. And it's actually quite odd when you even see that. The older generation, and I say older, even maybe like late 20s, 30s, 40s, are usually doing it as a switch. But anyone younger than me, like in, in their 20s, uh, earlier 20s or teens, they've usually just started vaping. I even remember I had this one, one girl in her 20s come in and she was like, oh, I'm going to start vaping. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, no, I'm just going to take it up. And I begged her, I begged her to try no nicotine one. Because I said, look, you're about to give yourself a lifelong habit that's somewhere on par as being as addictive as cocaine. I know that's, you know, that's never really been proven, but it's really, really hard to get off nicotine. And thankfully, she took my advice on that. But yeah, most people actually just start vaping as vaping. Like they, it's, it, which again is disturbing in itself that it's created this whole new generation of, uh, of kids addicted to something. Like even when I was a kid, like we even sort of knew smoking was bad for you. You know, like you'd smell bads. It would feel bad, you'd wake up in the morning, or my friends would anyway, and they'd be like, they'd sound like a 70-year-old man. You know, you get none of that with vaping. You get none of that bad, horrible, bit. you know what I mean? What kind of is the prices of your products? See, our prices, the most common thing that we sell is disposables, mm-hmm. and we sell this for nine euro. I think some people sell them for a little bit cheaper, like around eight. Uh, I think some Sentras sell them for about 10. We thought nine was fair, so we've we've basically stuck with nine the whole time I've been here. Are the disposables a lot more popular than the, the handheld with the liquid? Yes, very much so. And it's, it's funny, actually, people, even though the disposables are way more expensive, um, I've actually had people on disposables go to the reusable ones and then just get sick of having to change the coil, having to do the liquid, the mess, and then actually go back to disposables. And it's really, it's the convenience of them that people want. They can just pick it up, they can use yeah. it, they can throw it away. Now, ecologically, it's terrible. Yeah. Um but people, yeah, it's the convenience, people crave the convenience of it, of just being able to, the instant gratification, of being able to use it, no mess, no fuss.
0: I'm Professor Don O'Shea, I'm the head of the Department of Chemistry in the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland.
1: Donald, what is this proposed new legislation on the sale of e-cigarettes or vaping products?
0: Uh, it, it appears to be that it will ban the sale of, of these products to under 18-year-olds, um, which is a, a welcome event for the country, but perhaps a little bit late uh, to the game to try to resolve the issues that have been emerging over the past few years.
1: And why is it needed?
0: Essentially, we have untested products being used by our young population, which really the risks to their long-term health are completely unknown. These contain the cocktails of different chemicals that are being heated to high temperatures and being directly inhaled into the lungs, never been tested anywhere so why are we doing this to our population in one of these chemicals nicotine highly addictive substance
1: so there's nicotine in e-cigarettes but there's not tobacco that's the crux of the thing isn't it
0: well so tobacco is coming from the leaf of a plant that contains nicotine but here it's pure chemical nicotine which is the same compound the same chemical the same addictive properties so you have this blend of a, a highly addictive substance with a very attractive set of flavours, set of marketing, set of products, that are clearly attractive, obviously, to, to any teenager. Why wouldn't they be?
1: What is the problem, though, with a 15-, 16-, 17-year-old vaping? Uh, what's the medical issue involved?
0: So the medical issue comes about because they're they're vaping an addictive substance, which will mean that they will be continue vaping for many, many years. And in these products, you have a cocktail of chemicals that are being heated, and our lungs as a human species, have never been exposed to these particular chemicals. And now more and more we're seeing that they have immediate effects upon inhalation. So we see cardiovascular effects, effects in the lungs, where it's first been picked up now in, in patients that are asthmatic to begin with, so who are a bit more sensitive, so that's beginning to be seen. And the specific enzymes being overexpressed within the lungs that are damaging to the lungs what we don't appreciate, appreciate, I guess, is just how fragile an organ our lungs are. And really, in an ideal sense, they should only be exposed to fresh air. Um, but yet we do expose them to more when we live in a city like Dublin, but nothing like the concentrated toxic agents that we're inhaling there. These people are inhaling into their lungs from, from the nicotine products. So if you, t- if you relate it to tobacco smoking, a 16-year-old smoking a cigarette today is not going to have an immediate impact. But if that 16-year-old is still smoking the the cigarette at 36, then they will begin to have some very significant Mm -hmm. medical impacts and they're going to be still smoking it because it's addictive.
1: Do we have any idea about the take-up of vaping among the younger population?
0: Um, Yes, we do. There has been some recent national surveys done uh, on behalf of the government and the HSE to show that there is a dramatic increase in youth vaping. A similar uh, increase has been observed in the UK and the United States um so yes there is clear evidence that the uptake in uh, new vaping is very significant and it's it's going from very low numbers to now to the to the mid teens
1: and what kind of numbers are we seeing what kind of age group is involved?
0: the highest uh, pickup rate is in the fifteen sixteen year olds but uh it's been clearly seen down to eleven year olds as well and it's it's a year-by-year year increase, no, not over a long time period. So you see significant percentage increases year on year. So it, it's really, really taking off because of the widespread availability and perception that the, these products must be safe because I can buy them in, in your regular uh, corner shop.
1: So we're not just talking about teenagers, we're talking about preteens, preteens,
0: Pre-teens, also in 20-year-olds. From 20 to 30-year-olds as well, it's becoming incredibly popular. So, in 2021, the EU uh, published a survey where they did a survey of these products across the whole EU. And one startling statistic was that Ireland came out the highest for our mid-teens to mid-twenty-year-olds are very uh, willing to experiment with products like this. So, we had the highest statistics and numbers for users,
1: and probably the lowest legislation.
0: And well, we had no legislation. But in contrast, and this is what's at risk, is when you look at smoking in the teen population, that has fallen dramatically over the, since we brought in legislation. So the perception in the youth population is smoking is dirty, it's unhealthy, and it's most certainly not good to be seen to be smoking. Now we have the opposite trend happened with vaping.
1: So shops, uh, whether they're specialty vaping shops or whether they're the corner shop, because I think we know that vaping products are now available just about everywhere on every corner. They won't be able to sell to under 18s. In your view, does the legislation go far enough?
0: Uh, I don't believe it does because we have already evidence for that. So similar legislation would have been brought in in the UK in 2015 to ban the sale to under 18s. And they are seeing the same thing that we're seeing in this country, a spiraling increase in use of these products for, un, for under-18s. So a simple, straightforward sales ban, we know it won't work. Um, and we really have to go further than that in terms of what is the use of these products, what is the proposed benefit of these products, and it surely can't be to a teenage population.
1: You see, I think there is a lot of confusion around vaping. Um, you know, we hear that it helps wean people off tobacco, and tobacco is proven to cause cancer. I think it's probably fair to say that the research around its impact isn't comprehensive because it's a relatively, you know, new product. So, how are people to assess the dangers?
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, so I guess uh, people aren't usually put in a, in a position to assess these dangers. So, if a pharmaceutical company comes out with a new drug product, they must rigorously test it and prove it to the regulatory agencies that it's safe to give it to the general public. But for some reason, these companies don't have to do this. So, vaping contains a proven, addictive drug compound nicotine. The delivery device, which is what a vaping, uh, vaping apparatus is itself, heats them to high temperatures to deliver it to the, to the lungs. So, a both drug and a drug delivery device will go under serious testing and proving it to a regulatory agency. This hasn't happened here at all. So we have to ask ourselves how this happens, that these are let loose into the general population in the way they have.
1: And I suppose the, the confusion is, is sort of added to because, you know, nicotine, we, we all know that's a bad thing. You know, we're used to sort of the idea that cigarettes really smell horrible. But e-cigarettes, vaping products... They smell great. Bubblegum flavor, strawberry fra- flavor. Like, what's your view on all that? So
0: the view on, the, on many of them, the scientific community on flavors that they should have never been allowed into these products. So if there is an argument to be made that you're trying to help somebody to quit uh, the scourge of tobacco smoking, of which there is scant proof that it helps, but at least there is an argument there. But why does it have to be candy flavored? Why does it have to be sold in the corner shop or in a, in a sort of a glorified a specific shop to sell these products. If you need a drug product, you go to a pharmacy for it. Why should it not be sold in that way? It makes sense. And it protects the public. It's too much to ask, I think, a 16-year-old looking at a shop, which one should I choose, a a vaping product or a chocolate bar? If they're side by side, you're sending a clear message to those teenagers that this product is safe. That's not really a correct message.
1: E-cigarettes and vaping products have been, I suppose, readily available here uh, for about, I don't know, 10 years. And, uh, you know, I think when people read that front page story in the Irish Times that there was to be a ban on sales of them to children, uh, people under 18, you know, they were surprised that that wasn't already in place. In the RSCI, you know, you have a lobbying function uh, on government on health matters. You know, did you drop the ball on this?
0: I don't believe so. No, but back in 2019, when this uh, first became apparent that there was a challenge with vaping, it really caught the public attention with the issues that happened in the United States with the outbreak of what was termed the EVALI outbreak. So that came down to a single chemical that was in products that were illegal in this country because they were to do with ca- cannabis, but the same type of devices to deliver cannabis oils. So our own research, we we investigated that, and we showed what the causative agent was, this single chemical, and we published it in a leading American journals and publicized it, and that led to changes with that particular product in the United States. You also saw that the United States' attitudes to vaping dramatically changed around that time point as well, because they realized that there was a big issue here. You see states, specific states, banning flavors, et cetera, et cetera, but nationally, this didn't really catch on, or it didn't get much attention, and perhaps it just hadn't begun to spiral out of control yet in Ireland. But we see there were drafts of legislation being put in place back in 2019, so the government was aware of it. So really, it's hard to understand why we're so behind the curve with this particular issue, considering our our, uh, successes with tobacco legislation in the early 2000s.
1: The point about using e-cigarettes or vaping sort of to wean yourself off nicotine. Your point is they don't just contain nicotine, they contain a cocktail of chemicals.
0: That's right. A cocktail of chemicals. Every single product has a different cocktail. And these chemicals are being heated to high temperatures, creating new chemicals that are yet even only now being investigated to show that this is happening in research groups around the world. So you're transferring potentially one danger for another danger, We can argue for a long time whether one danger is slightly worse than the other or a bit more worse than the other, but is this a way to correct nicotine addiction? I'm not sure. And if you're not being used with counseling and support for these patients, then essentially this won't be successful. So what what you see emerging in, in the research literature is that people are ending up dual users. They're smoking and vaping, which is even worse again.
1: Donald, this is a long time coming. Is there a sense that in terms of legislation, the government has dropped the ball on this?
0: Um, Well, they've had the ball for quite some time. I think they just haven't proceeded with it uh, quickly enough. And perhaps in government, they haven't realized just how quickly things are changing. Things have rapidly changed in the past two or three years. And really, they have to up their game and move faster with what is happening in society.
1: When you say things have changed, what exactly do you mean?
0: the widespread use in the younger population so what we have now is a younger population that has been exposed to these products that are addictive that addiction doesn't go away just because they stopped selling them to 18 year olds so we have to begin to really think further out and think what is the purpose of these products and getting them into a much more regulatory environment to help the people where there may be some help for them um, but letting them loose within the population yes they really did drop the ball
1: Coming up, Tom Lowry, journalist with the Australian Broadcast Corporation, explains Australia's hardline approach to vaping. Tom, on May the 1st, Australia introduced a ban on recreational vaping. What is covered in the legislation?
3: What it essentially does is it takes Australia's already pretty hard policy towards vapes and makes it even harder I guess. Uh, We're going to ban all disposable vapes. These are vapes that contain nicotine and vapes that don't contain nicotine as well. You'll only be able to buy a vape, a nicotine containing vape from a pharmacy once you've got a prescription from a doctor. Now weirdly in Australia that was kind of already the case but you could buy disposable vapes that weren't supposed to have nicotine in them from convenience stores, from service stations, from tobacconists or supermarkets. Uh, But it turned out that most of those vapes wound up having nicotine in them anyway. They were uh, not a particularly well-regulated product. And uh, as a result, you had tons of young people, lots of teenagers as well, hooked on these vapes. So this is just taking that existing policy and really toughening it up to try and make vapes pretty much impossible to get from outside of pharmacy.
1: Now, governments rarely bring in legislation unless there is a push factor. Who was lobbying for this legislation and has there been any pushback against it?
3: Yeah, pretty much every health group you could think of, including a lot of the government's own health agencies, were saying this is a massive problem. You've got all of these young people who are getting just hooked on nicotine. A whole generation, they said, was being sort of addicted to nicotine and something had to be done. There had to be this intervention. And they were saying the best way to do it was simply to, yeah, crack down harder, crack down on illegal imports of vapes with nicotine in them and try and crack down on those, uh, you know, vapes that were being sold at convenience stores that were you know, bright pink packaging with unicorns all over them with sort of watermelon or grapefruit flavours that were just sort of being directly targeted towards young people in particular. They were saying these are the vapes we need to get rid of. So the vapes that will be available after this ban is introduced will be sold in plain packaging. All flavours will be banned altogether. So they'll just be a much more boring product than what was previously available. There has been a little bit of pushback. There were some conservative politicians and also a few health experts in the harm reduction kind of area who are saying prohibition so rarely works. Maybe it is worth looking at the models in place in the UK or New Zealand where vapes are much more readily available. The idea being in some of those countries that we're much better off having people vaping than smoking. And if this is a, you know, a less evil thing, then that's something we should perhaps embrace. But uh, the government here has been pretty firm in steering away from that direction.
1: So vaping and vape products are only going to be available on prescription. So is there an idea that a black market will develop?
3: Absolutely. And this is what's being pushed by a lot of people who say the prohibition model is a really bad one, that this is just going to encourage a black market. It's worth pointing out that most of the vape market in Australia at the moment is kind of a black market because the vapes that people are buying from convenience stores more often than not are in a way an illegal product because they contain nicotine when they really shouldn't. I've got a you know, vape here that uh, the flavors mango bomb and this thing doesn't mention nicotine in it but I on the packaging but I can guarantee you there is nicotine in this thing. Uh, so the black market's already kind of up and thriving so a big part of this is going to be trying to tackle this problem at the border and find these vapes that are coming illegally into the country. That being said, really hard thing to do. They don't smell like anything and they're tiny. So they're hard for sniffer dogs or other kind of detection methods we have in place to to find these things in, you know, cargo ships
1: and in big containers. Tom, can you tell me the sort of the evolution of vaping in Australia? When did it come in? When do you feel it started getting big traction? When did it become popular, especially among young people? What has been the trajectory?
3: I'm trying to think of my own personal experience here, and I probably first saw my friends and my social circles like vaping maybe a decade or so ago. And it was people that generally were, you know, friends who had smoked who were like, hey, this is, you know, this is something new and it's way better for me than smoking. And it's kind of great. Like, it tastes better than smoking, but I still get that nicotine hit. And it was sort of organic and pretty unregulated, I think, as well. Like, there was this rush towards it saying, hey, this is a way better alternative than smoking cigarettes. But we first started to see these warnings, sort of signals coming out maybe five years ago that schools in particular were just awash with vapes. Like you just had all of these kids vaping, kids who you can imagine wouldn't ordinarily smoke or have gone towards cigarettes, but found vapes really appealing. So there was a push a few years ago from the government to try and crack down on this. That was that sort of largely unsuccessful policy of making this a prescription-only product, but making non-nicotine vapes available to sell in convenience stores that wound up all having, you know, nicotine in them. And that, because that largely didn't work, that's how we got to this point where we are now, where the government's just trying to crack down really as hard as it possibly can.
1: Donald O'Shea, what do you think of Australia's approach?
0: I think we see a a really good and novel approach in Australia, where they are restricting the use these products to where there may be some benefit to people who are already addicted to nicotine through tobacco products, and that these can be done in a in a sort of a medical environment within a pharmacy where these patients can also get counseling to help them overcome this addiction, which is a terrible addiction, and not to be underestimated the challenge these people face to get off this addiction, and they do require support as well. So in terms of, of its use for uh, assisting people stopping smoking, th- there is... a It's a a multifactorial dynamics going on here, I guess, in that everybody wants to help people stop smoking. Why wouldn't you? It's a terrible scourge to be addicted to, to tobacco smoking. But there are medical proven ways to do this in the clean replacement therapies that have been around for a long time. But it has also shown what's essential for these to be more successful is that it goes along with personal counseling for these particular patients.
1: So you're talking about nicotine patches and that kind of thing?
0: Nicotine aerosols and so on. So they have been around and do assist and have been assisting people to quit smoking. So the evidence for vaping is quite scant. It it is just not essentially there. So this is a very risky strategy to put this out into the general population saying that vaping should be used in this way. Without any evidence for it, so there is slowly some evidence emerging. But the differences between nicotine replacement therapies that are proven and are safe versus vaping is very, very little. Even with the evidence that's coming out at the moment, so what are we going to do on the broader aspect where the rest of the population are being uh, essentially being given access to these as well? So you know, you don't sell your nicotine replacement therapies in specialized shops and so on and you don't flavour them necessarily with bubble gum, and so on and so forth so it's just the optics of it and the control of this is really very difficult to achieve and we can see over the past number of years controlling these devices and these e-liquids in the general population no country has been successful
1: That's it for today For more Irish Times journalism subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe I'm Bernice Harrison This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and John Casey, with additional research by Katie Mellett. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.